Welcome to Sea Time, everybody, the off-road show that brings you all the results, news, and online shenanigans that make being online a good time. We'd like to say thank you to Fly Racing for their support of Sea Time. Please go check them out at flyracing.com. One oh two, just right off the bat. Obviously, it sounds like I swallowed a rock, and it fell in there. And then I decided to chew on glass and goggle with that for a little bit. Um, so it's what it is. I'm gonna try to be my fun, energetic self, but obviously, I'm a little under the weather right now. Um, so suck it, Zach Huberty. You could take that to the pipe and smoke it or whatever, some little fun thing. So episode one oh two, it's Tuesday night again in Texas here, the fine city of McKinney. In the, the seat time studio, if you will, the weather is fantastic. I'll probably say that for about another two weeks, and then it's just going to be so damn cold that I'm going to be done because our fall only lasts about a month in Texas. It is just stupid. It's ridiculous, and it makes me feel unhappy about those situations. So, besides me being under the weather, we just got done. Uh, the ISDE just got done over in Italy, and the fun part about that is we have all kinds of awesome guests that we're going to talk to uh, today on our episode, and then as well next week, we're going to have a couple more guys on from Team USA that competed to be able to give us their experiences. Um, our first guest for this evening is going to be Nick Ferringer, uh, and then we're going to have Taylor Robert on, so it's going to be a great, great time talking with these guys. These are uh, uh, vet veterans, if you will, of being on seat time, so they know to expect... Uh, the most inter interesting things that they can come across on the internet, and that's the way we like to do it. Of course, if you've never tuned in before, you're watching and or listening to Seat Time, uh, you can find us at SeatTime.co is the website. Of course, we're on Twitter, on Facebook, all the fun places. You can uh, search for us on YouTube, on Instagram, um, all of those fantastic, fantastic social media sites. And uh, we, of course, have to give a big thank, uh, thankful shout-out to Fly Racing, uh, Power Sport Graphics, and to Fast Company uh, for all being very large supporters of Seat Time. Um, it's great that we have uh, Fast Company coming on as a supporter of Seat Time. Um, you can find them at fastco.com. Very confusing, but I'm going to go with it. That's okay. Uh, they're very renowned uh, for their flex bars and for their spoke torque wrenches. Obviously, we could talk about that a little bit more in the show, but uh, really, really appreciate them being on, and it's going to be a fun time. So, Mr. Nick Farringer, as we like to start off this show, how is your evening going, kind sir? It's going good. A little, going good. A little bit slow from uh, jet lag. I was 24 hours of uh, tra traveling and flying from Italy yesterday, so... Well, um, what was the – you guys were on, an, uh, you know, Sardinia, which is an island off the coast of Italy. So tell me about what your travel was like just to even get to and from the island. It wasn't too terrible. I took a, like a commuter flight from Ohio down to Athens, Georgia, and then there I got on my flight that took me all the way across the ocean to Rome. That was about a nine-hour flight, and uh, then I had an eight-hour layover in Rome, which was – Pretty awesome. Got to get my feet <laughs> got to get my feet wet in the Italian language and food situation. <laughs> and then uh, then from there it was a little airplane ride from uh, Rome to Sardinia, which a lot of the trophy team was on our airplane. I heard a lot of commotion in the back. It turns out I guess one of the engines kinda of caught on fire a little bit during our flight and cut out for a minute, so <laughs> and that was uh, that was on the way in? Yeah, yeah, so that's pretty there's spectacular. There's a good chance that half a Team USA might not have even made it. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's funny, too, because they were talking about how you guys were going to have to get on ferries and all that stuff, but you guys found a prop job to get you over there. That's that's smart thinking. I like that. That's using ingenuity. 
It's what everybody should do. So, dude, um, congratulations on a very fantastic finish. Uh, you were on the Wellard Club team. Uh, you guys got second overall in the club teams. You were, what was it, third in the C3 class. Um, and outright, you did really well. As, uh, in the overall outright with the club members, you had a pretty, I would say, fantastic uh, ISDE. What do you, how do you look at it? Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Um, obviously, getting second in the club division is pretty good. I mean, every country, you know, tries to send their best group of riders to be on those teams. And uh, I think we had a, a real solid team with, uh, you know, Ryan Sipes was a newbie. He's proven to be really fast, and Jimmy Jarrett's really fast and has a, a veteran track record. And uh, it's not my first rodeo either, so I was pumped to have a good group of guys. And uh, yeah, everybody rode solid, and I, I felt real happy with uh, having a consistent week. I mean, it wasn't completely problem-free, but despite having some issues, I was still still up there every day. So Yeah, well, uh, go give us some uh, a little bit of headway into what some of those issues were that you were having. Well, uh, day one, I was number like 927, which being in the C3 class, that's the last class of the day to start on day one. And then I was in the very back of that group. So nearly 600 riders got to ride all the special tests before I got there. And the soil there was so dry and crumbly, it was just a dust bowl, like right off the get-go, passing half a dozen riders per special test. And uh, not to mention, I started at 11 a.m. and didn't finish till 6 p.m. So it was just kind of a long, gnarly day. But uh, fortunately, I did good enough to get seated a lot further ahead of the pack for day two, which we rode the same course as day one, so I got to see the difference in like special test times after being dead last to first club guy, and it was definitely you could go faster when you weren't passing half a dozen dudes. Yeah. Was it a really? How was the passing situation there? I know, like, say, like we'll do some of the national enduros. You can kind of hoot and holler one or two turns ahead, and people know that you're coming. Was that? I mean, obviously, dust is going to play into that a lot, but how were the, the people, the other riders in general when it came to passing? You know, uh, it's it's definitely a little different when you're passing somebody on a special test because they're shorter, they're usually wide enough to pass. So because everybody's so competitive, I mean, sometimes you'll get a guy that'll move over, but other times you got to kind of, you got to earn it before they let you, you know, have it. Like, you got to get beside them and then they'll let off. But uh, really, all the tests were pretty fast and easy, and we could have drove our Fiat 500 around most of them. So, uh, you know, passing was dust was just the biggest thing. It was the worst dust I or I think any other guys have ever really had to deal with. So. Yeah, yeah. The pictures, you know, that guys like Shan Moore and Mark, uh, and then Jason Hooper with his videos, all those guys putting that stuff up daily. It looked like those first two days, well, first three days were just horrible and horrendous. So starting in the back, passing all those people, obviously must have been tough. What was the was was there any trick to it? I mean, or is it just you kind of have to know know the special test, know kind of which way you're going, and just pray you're not about to run somebody over? Yeah, um, there is a trick to it. I'm pretty sure we walked like 45 miles the week before the race. Um, the whole trophy team and uh, some of us like Weller guys and some of the more serious club riders, we all got together and we walked every single special test one, two, three times. So uh, that's something that, say, like Kirk Caselli is real good at is, you know, he always says he remembers every every special test in detail. And 
I was trying to learn from that and, and just at least met, remember some of them to some extent. And there was two two tests I felt like I had memorized, and I think it helped because when you fly up behind somebody in the dust, I mean, you know, you got to get around them or you're just going to be eating that dust that whole test. So I could kind of put the corners together in my head and set somebody up for a pass and at least earn it, you know, rather than fly up and run off the track. So. Yeah. Huh. It's interesting. Um, I remember, yeah, walking some of the tests at the ISDE qualifier in Boise. Um, I was there with Wes McKnight, who's uh, been quite a few times as a club member from Texas. And he was like, yeah, see, it's little things like this that you have to remember. You got to remember this and that. And I was like, dude, all I'm going to remember from this is that there's pine needles on the ground. Like, I don't know how you guys walk these tests and, like, remember, you know, all of the, the little idiosyncrasies about the course. But, you know, that's what separates the men from the boys for sure is, is those kind of situations. Yeah, I mean, there's some things you just got to deal with as you come to it. But remembering just kind of the lay of the land and the, the shape of the course and anything that's just blatantly dangerous, that's that's all you can really do. I mean – Everything else kind of comes to you as you're riding, I think. Yeah. Well, um, let's talk a little bit about the bike that you were on and bike setup and things like that. Like we said, that's your third ISDE. So you kind of you you're not a rookie in the sense that you knew kind of how to pack, what to bring, how to prep your bike before going over there, and what to look forward to. Um, <laughs> I don't know if "look forward to" is the right way to put it, but you know what what you knew was coming um, when it came down to working on your bike. The little amount of times you had to do that. So, what are some of the things that you've learned throughout the years? as you kind of prep for this and, and prep your bike and things like that? Uh, it's, uh, it's a good question. Um, I guess number one is make sure you got a tool pack that's, you know, efficient and it's got everything you need because, uh, you will be working on your bike with your tool pack, like coming in to, uh, before your final work time of the day, having the tools to get the bike ready to work on so you can do a full service in 10, 15 minutes. Um, that's, you know, the one kind of thing you got to do different because most of the racing we do in this, you know, America, you don't really need a tool pouch anymore. But, uh, the bike I was riding was pretty standard. Uh, we rented a 2014 Husaberg T 300. So it's, it is a 14 model with just minor differences from the bike I've been riding all year. So I, I knew the setup, brought suspension, handlebars, and, uh, a few, uh, a few extra, guards and whatnot, like some enduro engineering, shark fin, and just stuff to make sure the bike finished because uh, the number one thing is six days first and foremost is to finish, and then uh, second, go as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. That's funny. Um, I think it's, it's Jeff Fredette. He's the one who's been doing it since like 78, so he's got like 38, I believe. Is that right? 38 ISTEs? He hasn't DNF'd on one of them. No, I think 33. 33? Okay. I was trying to... I don't do math well, especially in the condition that I'm in right now. Not only does my voice suck, but I'm all hopped up on all kinds of drugs. So it's best. Woo! That's awesome. Um, so do you think that – what does it take to think about what that guy's done? You've done three. Now he's done 33 in a row since 78. Do you think that you would have that you know, inner gumption to just keep going year in and year out? Well, uh Jeff Fredette is definitely an animal for having done and completed that many ISDEs. And uh, the coolest thing is every time I see him, especially at an ISDE, is he always says, Nick, you're just on vacation. You know, <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is a six days. He's on vacation. He's just riding his motorcycle. I mean, the guy, he's such a machine. He, he knows what he's got to do, and he just he just does it, and he enjoys it. And uh, he just goes with the flow, and, and 
he makes it work for him. So that's that's what's awesome about it is he can he can just go out there and it seems like no matter what happens, the guy's you know he's going to finish and, and he's still competitive. So it's real cool. Yeah, he's, that's what's crazy. I think as well, it looked like he had uh, he had cut his hand at work before he even. Uh, yeah. Before he had even like he had stitches in his hand for like six or seven days, and then just like went and twisted the throttle for six more days. Like that's insane that that dude's such a badass. It is. It is. Um, well, it sounded like a lot of the team had some uh, some stomach bugs or some kind of sickness on like day five. So did yeah. you did you did you have issues with that? Did you succumb to to these issues? Yeah, I. Uh... I had to deal with that myself, actually. I was at dinner Thursday night with the guys, and I was thinking I didn't quite feel right, but I thought, eh, four days of race in a row, maybe I shouldn't feel feel super super awesome. But uh, you know, my last uh, my last pre-race ritual of uh, Friday morning kind of kind of got questionable. So uh, <laughs> coming into time check two or three of the day, I asked the guys, where can I go to the bathroom? Something's not right. And I ended up running off with some paper towels and destroying some poor local's garden. Um, <laughs> did, not, did not feel very good. Um, yeah, I, I think it was like a 24-hour stomach bug or something. It it flared up a, about an hour and a half later on a mountaintop, and I took care of that. Uh, had more paper towels. But, uh, yeah. it, you planned ahead after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's rule number one. You gotta, you gotta plan ahead at six days yeah that's what i hear um well then going into the moto uh, the c c3 class it seemed like you did pretty well there too i mean is that something that you've been practicing on or did you just keep the throttle back and just have a good time with it uh i have been working on my moto skills because essentially i really never had any uh, <laughs> understandable i feel the same <laughs> i'm a pretty much straight up enduro guy so um you know i've, I've never never really excelled on the moto track so I spent a lot of time riding with guys out there and on, on different tracks and I've got to where I feel somewhat comfortable and uh and then final moto of the day C2 was right like an hour I don't know half an hour before my moto and Ryan Sipes killed it Jimmy Jarrett killed it right behind him and I was like wow okay my team's just tearing up these, these motos so it's my turn to deliver and pressure was on so I went out there and got a terrible start it was a 40 minute <laughs> 40-man gate, and I was about mid-pack going around the first turn, and there was just, uh, there was guys just everywhere, it was a madhouse, and so I pumped up right away, and uh, just tried to ride like I knew how, going, you know, going through the traffic, but uh, I think I ultimately finished like seventh, and actually, the guy on the trophy, or the club team that beat us was somewhere behind me, and he never made it around, so I made up like two seconds on that guy, but, uh, but the rest of our team made up about a minute and a half on the on the club team that was ahead of us. So it was pretty cool that we made up that much time just in you know two five minute motos. Yeah, and uh, last year the it seemed that the Team USA guys made up a lot of time there as well, both in the junior team and in the trophy team. Uh, so what was it like being on a team with Ryan Sipes and Jimmy Jarrett? I mean, it, it's you know as you mentioned, Jimmy Jarrett kind of the veteran uh, has done this quite a few times, and then Ryan Sipes complete rookie to the ISDE. Not not a total rookie to off road, um, but but this format of racing for sure. Um, what did you think about their performances and how they kind of handled the whole situation? I mean, I thought it was super cool. Uh, they're both just really good guys to work with and hang out with, and 
naturally we spent you know most of the week beforehand getting ready for the event um walking tests together and just kind of making sure everybody was good to go um everybody was super prepared you know i think we were the whole team team usa was really pumped with how well our motocross guys came into this for like just preparation wise like they were serious they knew the rules they had the bikes ready um so that was help help keep me confident that okay we've got a good shot at finishing and being competitive and uh you know jimmy he's kind of semi-retired now so you know it was it was pretty awesome to have him going good and be putting in consistent rides every day and then to see him right behind sipes in that final moto was like this is awesome this is cool um but then ryan was real impressive uh first day he made i think a went into a time check early and got got 60 seconds added onto the score a little penalty action but uh he made it up at the end of the race because he was winning all the special tests in the club division and or at least in class and it was like it was it was cool to be a part of such a competitive team yeah well um as 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 we continue to kind of evolve as as the team does and they keep growing they keep building and you could tell that auntie's done a great job really kind of harnessing a lot of people's skills in the different in different ways to get the team performing a lot better throughout the past couple of years i mean we did team usa itself second place this year first time since 80 what's well, like 81 82 um it's yeah. pretty impressive do you think that what do you foresee in the next couple of years you know is a guy like ryan sipes or a guy like yourself going to be moved into those those kind of trophy tro- uh trophy team positions uh well like what you were saying, I think Auntie has definitely done a great job of organizing the team and getting things more efficient and just getting the performance of the whole team as a whole higher. Uh, the last time I had done a six days, he wasn't really involved, and I took a few years off. And then he's been involved now for, I think, two years, and it was dramatic, the improvement I saw and how the support crew around us worked because, you know, you can't do this event without a support crew and just the how everything moved so fluidly and just, I mean, it was it was fun working with everybody. And then uh, as far as the direction of the team in the future, I think that the second place that the, tr- that the trophy team got, I mean, was it's a big deal. 20 years of, you know, the first time they've done that well. And I think that they showed more potential to do even better. And going into six days is so different for American riders. I think that that gave, that gave us the hunger and the drive to, put emphasis on training specifically for six days and uh, there was definitely some talk amongst the team as to just what to do to prepare better for it and I think that uh, I think America's got a real good shot at you know winning this and if not next year in the very near future yeah um, I think I think guys like Ryan do have a shot at being a part of the team and, and maybe driving us forward because honestly six days is easy right now it's all the special tests like I said you can Pretty much, you could rally a rental car around anything. It's super easy, real fast. Um, it's kind of bad for somebody like myself, who is a pure enduro guy from America that didn't grow up doing moto. I, I mean, I had to stretch a lot more throttle cable out there than I used to. <laughs> right. It was fun, but I'm not used to it. So like, I, I'm going to have to train specifically for this event if, if I want a shot at being on the team or, or at least, uh, you know, improving on what I've done because. It's uh, it is a totally different kind of animal. Yeah. Um. Did they um? I guess kind of in a mm, ad- administration sort of way, the way that Auntie's kind of managing the team. Did they say anything about qualifiers for next year, or hey, let us know if you're interested to do it again, or hey, we'll be in touch. 
you know, for 2014 for going to Argentina? Uh, it's kind of too early for that, really. Um, so no, no, there was no talk of it. But uh, you know, I think that our American qualifier races are a lot of fun, and like I would wish I could do more of them. Like go to Idaho City and like the one they have in Ohio is fun, but they have nothing to do with ISDE. They're not remotely close to deciding who would actually be good to go race ISDE. Right. Right. Um, do you do you think that if we in the states had an actual sprint enduro series, um, that some that that was maybe a little bit more? I wouldn't say it has to be patterned after um, the way that they do it in Europe, but maybe something that was a little bit more sprint enduro oriented, that it might help us prepare for that more. Or does it seem like we're we've got it, we're figuring it out, we're just building up to that win? I th- I mean I think that would help. I mean the the racing series that's big right now and. and U.S. like being on the East Coast is GNCC, which is a three-hour endurance race around a track that you could take probably any segment of and make a enduro test for ISDE. And then you've got U.S. National Enduro, which is nothing like ISDE or anything they even do in Europe. Those guys think that American enduro is crazy. So, uh, which is probably why I like it. But uh, yeah, they they I, took endurance out of enduro a long time ago. <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, they're they're long days on a motorcycle, but there's nothing challenging about ISD. I think at the World Enduro Championship, the, you know, in that series, there's some challenging stuff, but just the tight trees and the long trail sections that we actually sprint through are just unlike anything else, and uh, I really enjoy that. But to get riders to go route, like ride at 100% and do full-on sprints for the short tests that they have in Europe. That's going to take something, you know, some special training, and and I know like there's a new series, a J Day Off Road series. I've never done one, but I imagine that that's that's close to putting riders in the right dimension for for six days. But even a 30 minute sprint around a course like that is different than a than one lap around a grass track that takes five minutes. Right. I hmm. think to get riders ready, you just you got to ride crummy, sketchy tracks as just flat out as fast as you can on crappy tires and. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's something too that i don't think uh that many people take into consideration is that you guys have to run the fem tires and uh from what everybody said i've never ridden on them but you're another rider that just doesn't seem to say positive things about them <laughs> i'll be honest in a certain circumstances i actually enjoy them i think they work well but there's also a lot of times where those short knobbies and the way their spacing works i mean they're optimized to work as good as they can for what they are, but they have a lot of handicaps. Like you get into sand or mud, they just don't they don't hook up like like a regular Dunlop knobby would. So yeah. Um, before we get into complete crazy territory and talk about the after party at the ISDE, which I know you must have had the best time ever. Um, what uh so. What are your 2014 plans, Mr. Ferringer? Uh, hopefully to uh, do better than I've done this year and maybe make some money. Uh, right, <laughs> now, right now the plan is to uh, stay with Air Group because they've been an awesome uh, supporter and an awesome help this year. But uh, we're, looking for, we're looking for a manufacturer. Uh, basically there's no real race support going on for Husabird next year and you know, with Husaberg's going away, I don't know if they're going to be around next year or not, but uh, there's no real race support there, so um, 
We've got some interest from other companies. I think, you know, obviously Husqvarna is kind of the, the move from Husenberg, and uh, there's interest there, but we've also got some other manufacturers that are that are interested. And after having the best year of my career and finishing second in the National Enduro Series, um, unofficially, but it's uh, all butt locked up. For yeah, two. you know, the, the points are pretty much, you just have to finish, and you can pretty much say it's yours. Yeah, yeah, so um, naturally I'm, I'm still going to race to win at that last round, but uh, so, uh, you know, up till now it's been a great season, and I, I'd like to think I've got good opportunity going into next year. So essentially, yeah, my plan is to just go a little bigger and go better and keep having fun. Um, if Okay, say say Husaberg is – there is no Husaberg in the States next year. Say that's, that is uh, – that happens. Do you have a bike that you've kind of had your eye on that would be – the bike that you would that you would be like a hundred that you would feel one hundred and ten percent on for next year, or as at this point you don't really have anything that stands out. Uh, there's really nothing that's, that stands out uh, directly. I mean, there's been a lot of photos leaked out about the new Husky, and it, I'm sure everybody's probably at least seen it or heard of it. It, it looks a lot like the current Husaberg, and I'm I'm thinking they basically took where they left off with developing the Husaberg, which is close to a KTM but it is different and unique in its own ways and they're they're putting the Husky name on it and they, they continue to change it more they made it it looks like they gave a linkage and and who knows what else is under the tank so um it would be hard to say I wouldn't feel comfortable on that because it it's it's close to the bike I'm riding now right. uh, but the linkage is a difference and that puts it in the category of the same category as all the other 300 two strokes out there the like say a Sherco a Beta and uh you know, along with any Japanese two-stroke, I guess you don't really have a Yamaha there, but um, but there's basically just the, you know the European companies are have interest in doing an enduro rider, and we've talked to all of them, and uh, just kind of seeing who uh, who works out a good deal and see who's got a good bike. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. Like uh, it looks like Sherco, they've got their 250 two-stroke coming over. I don't know what the big board capabilities are right now for that to maybe put a 300 kit on it. Um, but then, of course, Beta's got their 300. That uh, I, I think it, I think one of those two bikes. I don't know much about the Sherco. Uh, I'm gonna ride one, do their little demo uh, at the Oklahoma at the National there. I'm gonna ride that, test it out, see what I think about that bike. But um, that'd be interesting. I think that's kind of cool. You're in a position now. I think where there are a, a lot of really good European two-strokes now in the states, and you can get parts, you can get distribution. Um, you don't have a lot of the problems that we had 20. 25 years ago um, on getting those European parts. So you do have a really good choice, I think. And it, it would be, I mean, you could almost sell your bike testing to like a magazine because they could be like, all right, I'm doing all this testing now. Why don't you guys just pay me for a write-up at the end of it? And, you know, we'll do some pictures and stuff too. I think that's a great way to do it. You could make extra money. I probably could, but you got to think sure. outside of the box, man. I've, I've actually, even today, I spoke with some of my sponsors like, hey, we need to do some testing. Like, I'm qualified to do that, I think. I, I ride a dirt bike, and I, you know, I know how to do a little bit of math and how to break some stuff. That's, that's three qualities right there for testing, right? I, I say yes. You only uh, need two of those, and one of them is breaking shit. Yes. Yes, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can break stuff all day long. <clears throat> uh, but, no, yeah, it's, it's definitely an exciting time to be in a position that I am and have there be so many, you know, 300 two-strokes. I mean, obviously, that's the bike I like, and, and there's a lot of options there. I've heard real good things about all of them, and 
Uh, I've only really ridden a couple of them, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you will. Um, but it's interesting because we're talking about this, and some of the notes that I had um, is that Johnny O'Bear just released that he's going to be on beta next year uh, doing the the World EC. So there's a KTM, hard, you know, hard and true KTM rider uh, going to be on beta next year. Um, and then we've got David Knight, who, you know, is kind of always kind of come back to KTM. He's now going to be on Sherco, and he actually just won his first kind of local uh, enduro cross there in Europe on on the 300 four-stroke, which is what he'll be on. Um, so you've got kind of those, those 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 European brands making moves there in Europe as well. So I think picking up a guy like Nick Ferringer in the States, I think would be a great representation for their brand. I mean, if somebody asked me, sure, I'll give them my advice and that they should do it. So I have... I'll I'll make sure to put you on my references. Yeah, put me on your references. I've got tons of good shit to say. And if I talk to them in the next week, they're going to feel bad for me. So they're actually going to listen to what I have to say more. Because you're going to be like, what is wrong with this guy? He's like, did he get done smacking a 12, like 12 packs of cigarettes? Yes. Yes, I did. That's what happens. Well, okay. Quickly, tell me about the after party and what you guys did before you left Italy. Because I heard you guys had some fun. Uh, after party after six days is usually... It's usually pretty fun because you've been riding dirt bikes for six days. You're celebrating getting the heck out of some dirty country, and uh, the the beverages go to your head quick out there. Uh, I hear that. We uh, we actually we had a small group of us Americans, uh, us Weller guys, and a, a handful of other fun Americans were hanging out with the Australian team. <laughs> uh, Perfect, good choice. I approve. Team America and Team Australia make a real good uh, team combined, if you will, when you come in on a bar full of French. Um, <laughs> we, uh, we we took our took our territory in the bar and uh, made some noise, and there was some shouting and some anthems being sung, and uh, you know we had our fun, and then uh, you know everybody had an early morning to get out of there the next morning. I was staying an extra day, so. Uh, call it a day while everybody was still alive and not in jail. And then uh, we, uh, myself and uh, whoever else survived that night went with us. I think Taylor Robert was there, uh, Ryan Sipes, uh, Zach Osborne. We all went to the beach. And uh, we saw a lot of the beaches look pretty boring, but we finally went to one that we'd been to earlier in the week that had some cliffs. Uh, it was like a big rock island that you had to swim to about 50 yards offshore and uh, jumped off some cliffs there. It was a pretty good time. Awesome. Is this like was this kind of like a like a well known cliff jumping spot, or are you guys just like, hey, that looks fun, let's go jump off there? Yeah, no, we were we were at the beach, and I uh, kind of just looked off in the distance, like there's a real cool rock formation over there. Let's check that out because this, you know, a sand beach is pretty boring, especially when there's no chicks laying out. So <laughs> this this topless beach sucks without chicks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we. We went straight over the rocks, and uh, we were scoping some stuff out. And uh, I think uh, Thad Duvall went for this gnarly jump. Like, from 30 foot up, you had to jump 10 foot out over a bunch of jagged rocks into the water. And uh, that was a little too much for me. But we found a little more sane, just sheer cliff wall to jump off of. It was about 30 foot. And uh, it, was, it was good to kind of get uh, get the blood pumping before the race. And then uh, it just seemed like a good spot to go back to afterwards to loosen up. Have yeah. fun. I agree. I agree. Well, cool, man. Well, I'm glad you got to go. Argentina next year. You think there's a chance that you're gonna that you would uh, you would be suspect to go or would want to go? Yeah, I'd like to. Um, you know, I 
I'm pretty sure most of the trophy team they've got was was going a little stronger than I was uh, this this year. So I think to earn a spot on the trophy team, I'm going to step my game up between now and then. But you know, being being solid for six days counts for a lot. So I'd love to go back. Awesome. Well, I, I completely agree. I think you did a fantastic job, um, and I look forward. We, like I said, we'll be at the uh, Oklahoma City National Enduro. So uh, come check it out. We're still trying to figure out. Um, we were wanting to do like a live Q&A, kind of talk more specific um, Saturday evening about 4 o'clock right before the KTM dinner um, to talk with guys like you, Charlie Mullins, you know, a little bit more uh, kind of Q&A for all the enduro guys there, a little bit about bike setup, you know, stuff that you guys do ritualistically. Um, that might be able to help some of them out. And, uh, of course, have a little bit of fun because that's what I'm all about. Hopefully I don't sound like a raped ape at that point in time, but I don't know what that's gonna, how that's going to sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, I almost forgot the best part of our after party. Yeah. Next day activities. They set up a, uh, a circus next to our hotel. So me and uh, Zach Osborne went to the circus and showed off his uh, caterpillar eyebrows. And, uh, <laughs> it was a. Uh, <laughs> the circus was actually pretty pathetic. They had the tiger all doped up and the bear looked drunk, and it was pretty sad. But sounds, yeah, so, sounds like my house. <laughs> this circus. Oh, it's such an interesting time. Well, cool, dude. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, I think uh, you might be a little jet lagged, but that's okay. It's completely expected. That is a rough, rough uh, seven hours to adjust, to readjust, you know, from. So good luck with that. Keep it going. And uh, I guess next race for you will be, is that going to be OKC, the National Enduro? Yeah, yeah. I'll be in uh, Oklahoma racing the last national, and then – the two weeks later, the final race of the year is going to be the OMA Moose Run in Illinois. So nice. That's that's a fun one. That's what I've heard. I heard that that's a good one. Well, make sure you give uh, Russell Bobbitt a good uh, swat on the ass for us uh, for saying congrats on his little championship. You know, his little number one plate, whatever. That guy. Cool. Yeah, the champ. Hey, where can people find you if they're on the internet? Uh, if you're googling. Um, my website's about two years out of date, so don't get bummed about that. But uh, uh, I guess uh, I do the Facebook thing and the Instagram thing uh, just to try and keep people up to date. And uh, other than that, uh, you know, look for our air group videos after races because uh, that's about the coolest thing you see out of me out of uh, out of the races. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I like it. I think you look cool. Appreciate it. Yeah, dude. No worries. Well, cool, man. Stay strong. We'll see you in two weeks, I guess. Yeah, about two weeks, and uh, we'll have fun up until then, all right? Thanks again for being on the show, man. Yeah, yeah. Get better, Brian. We'll talk to you. <laughs> see you in Oklahoma. <laughs> Later, dude. Take it easy. Thanks. All right, so Stephen uh, kind of switches over here from uh, Mr. Nick Ferringer. It sounds like he had a great time at the ISDE and so thankful that he was able to come on. Uh, we're going to pull up uh, Taylor Robert and chat with him for a little bit, but of course... I have to say thank you. Thank you very much to Fly Racing for their support of Seat Time. Um, they are a huge supporter of not just Seat Time, but as well the off-road side of our sport. You know, they have bigger riders in the motocross and supercross like Trey Kennard, Andrew Short, but it's guys like uh, Chris Bach, you know, on the that race GNCC races. You know, and it used to be the Baylors and stuff, but they're kind of a little too pro now. But uh, they, they're really, really big supporters of a lot of series and a lot of riders in the off-road world. So can't say thank you to them enough for their support. Go check out their site, flyracing.com. Um, I, I don't know if you guys noticed in all the videos, there's a, the U-Sway hydration packs were being worn a lot in, uh, in Italy. You can go get one of those 
um, off of the Fly Racing website. Hey, back. I'm doing uh, It's right there in uh, Moto Gear hydration packs, and bam, they got them all right there. Work with all the Lee App races. Be a good time for you. Go check it out. All right, so Mr. Taylor Robert, I've already had to tell everybody else I sound like I've been deep throating an ape. Um, that's just the way it goes. That's what happens when you get sick. Sometimes you got to do it. So there it is. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, finally getting a little recovery after a long taste, but yeah, it's going good. <laughs> yeah. Well, we just uh, we just heard from uh, Mr. Uh, Farringer that you guys found a little bit of cliff jumping and stuff, like right after, like before you guys left. Yeah, we did. Uh, we kind of drove around the island the last day, which was it was kind of nice. Uh, most everybody flew out 7 a.m. the day after the race, so we flew out. Um, I actually flew out 10 p.m. the day after the race. I think Nick flew out yesterday, but uh, yeah, so we kind of drove around the island, hit up some beaches, found some rocks to jump off. So it was a good time. <laughs> and uh, we kind of, I asked him. I had to find out. Was one was it a nude beach, and two was this like a sanctioned area to jump off of, or were you guys just like whatever looks good? Um, well, there were some nude stuff going on on the beach. You picked a good one. I like it. Yeah. I mean, definitely nothing good, but there was some stuff that was uncovered. <laughs> if you hadn't seen it for six days, there was your chance, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, no, we just, there was these rocks, you know, a little ways off the beach. So we... We swam a couple hundred feet out to these rocks and then uh, just decided to tuck some gainers off them. <laughs> you guys are batshit crazy. I love it, man. There's no way. It sounded like Thad Duvall jumped over like a bunch of like sharp edge rocks and stuff too. Maybe that was earlier in the week. But yeah, there's no way, man. I'd be like, <laughs> Yeah, and then, uh, yeah, so we did that. And the first day we were there, which was before the race even started, we saw a big old jellyfish in the water. Um, and then when we went went the day after the race, Zach's mechanic actually got stung by a jellyfish. Oh man! <laughs> so, good times. Yeah, he didn't like pass out or anything, did he? Get taken no, advantage just, of? No, you could just see where it stung him. It, all, it got all like irritated and red and and puffy. That's probably just an excuse. He was like, "I'm not telling you her name. It was a jellyfish. It was, <laughs> no, it was the worst time ever." No, it didn't yeah, exactly. cost a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, some people are into that. You know, you just got to let them do what they got to do. <laughs> so you, Mister Taylor Robert, came away with your best ISDE finish. You were the top American, sixth overall outright, fifth overall in the E two class. Um, I would say that this was a pretty good ISDE for you. Yeah, it went really well. I was uh, after the race. I was actually pretty bummed because I had fifth all week and uh fifth overall all week and fourth in class and Ivan Cervantes and I were really close all week um but going into day six all I had to do was basically you know stay up and finish near him and uh we had a pretty tight battle going it was Charlie Mullins and then Ivan Cervantes and then Josh Strang and then me and I was like doing everything I could to try and get around Josh and while, while I was doing that all I really had to do was, you know, play it smart and stay right there. <laughs> I was trying to get around him, and uh, I just washed the front end out, and Johnny O'Bear was right behind me. And when I washed the front end out, Johnny just ran straight into my back, ran me over, and then ran my bike over and twisted all my controls around. Like, my 
front brake and throttle assembly were flipped all the way around. My throttle was wide open. So I get <laughs> up, you know, fumble with that for a few seconds and I ended up losing fifth place to Cervantes by six seconds oh. at the, end of the week. So I was pretty bummed about that. But you know, it was still it was still a good finish for me. I, I know there's not that big of a difference between fifth and sixth overall, but you know, now now that I got some confidence that I can run with those guys, I I really want to you know train more for that next year because I didn't really do a lot of training for ISC this year. You know, I I did a few works races and and I did the Baja 500 and that's all that I've really ridden my 450 this year. Um, everything else has been you know extreme enduros and enduro cross. Right. But uh, now that. I know I can run with those guys. Like Rene, he got third overall, and I beat him the first two days, but we were super close. The first day I beat him by two seconds. The second day I beat him by one second. So I know I, I know I have the speed to run with those guys. I just need to, you know, that's what they do all year round, and I want to I wanna be able to get over there and try and go for the overall. Yeah. Well, um, I want to know, maybe, maybe this is something you've already started to think about. Maybe it's something you haven't at all, but when you say you know you want to start now that you know you can run with those guys and you want to try to train a little bit more specifically for this for next year what is what does that mean to you what is in the terms of train differently for this do you do you know, do you already kind of have a game plan on what that takes yeah um you got to ride the crappiest shittiest tracks you can find that that seems to be an interesting statement that continuously shows up <laughs> yeah no i mean it's just I mean, they said that Argentina, which is where it's going to be in 2014, is right. supposed to be it's supposed to be rockier and kind of similar deserty terrain. Um, so I have rocks out by my house, and I have places that I could have made tracks that would have been identical to the ones we just rode. But I never do do that because it's not fun to ride. You know, I always go when it's when it rains out. I'm like, oh, I'm going to go make a new track and make it super flowy and fun and awesome, but I, and mentally, I never go. Oh, I should go make like the worst possible track I can make. Yeah, we go make something that's not fun. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's one of those things you gotta do. You gotta commit to it and go out and go out in a rock field and make a a special test. So, it's kind of something that's not very fun. But if you want to win, you gotta do it. Yeah. All right. Well, that's understandable. Look, it's cool. Um, I think a lot of people have kind of tried to figure out, you know, how do you train for the ISD, especially with the, you know, us in the States because of the fact that the guys in Europe, they race this format all the time. Um, so they kind of, they, they kind of already work that format, but for us going over there. So that's why I wanted to ask that specifically. I think it's interesting to know what guys like you who want to keep doing better guys like Kurt, you know, what you guys practice specific for that. Um, so day one, you actually won the last test overall. Everybody, you beat every single person out there. How how the hell did that feel? Uh, it felt good. That was, I mean, this is my third ISE, and that's my first test I've ever won. And uh, you know, it's it's hard to win a test. Those guys are really fast. Yeah. And uh, I uh, going into that test, I I wasn't like, oh, I got this win for sure, you know. But it was the roughest, dustiest, nastiest track we had all week. And uh, I guess I'm pretty good at that stuff. So <laughs> I just went out there and did what I know how to do, and I won it. And then uh, the next day, we ran the same course, and I got second in that test by not 
very much. I think I was like one or two seconds off the, the leader's pace. So that was definitely, uh, it wasn't my favorite test of the week, but it was definitely the one I did the best in. Yeah. yeah I think it was uh, Mio that actually got that win, right? Yeah. 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 I think Mio ended up winning like most of the tests. Yeah. It was, isn't it insane though that he is, he's an E1 rider. So he's been riding 250Fs and 125s for the past couple of years and his buddy Namboten gets hurt. He's like, oh, I'll ride his 300, sure, whatever. Yeah. And he wins. Not only does his team win, but he he overalls the entire event. Is that, yeah. That, that's insane. Yeah, he's he is one bad dude. I mean, he's, like, super smooth. And the thing that really blows my mind is, uh, like, on day five, or day four, sorry, day four and five, we had the same course. So day four was all new special tests. And... The first test of the day was this completely flat, dry grass track. And, you know, being the other thing that Americans always do is we go out and, like, whenever I make a track, I'll go out and just kind of carve it in. And then once the lines get good, then I'll really start throwing down a moto. Well, he was the first one out. You know, there was absolutely no lines. And, uh, he killed it. Him and Milner beat everybody else by like 20 seconds on a completely flat track. So us as Americans, we're always dependent on like a rut or a berm to hold us, and they can go out there and just haul around the flattest, driest, slickest turns. <laughs> I think it's the, the, the shitty FIM tires. Yeah. <laughs> they know how to make them work. They know how to make them work. Um, uh, actually, Ryan Kudla, uh, one of the club members, he was in the chat room right now, and he wanted to know, personally, what did you think of the French riding style? Um, you know, I, I really admire those guys. When I first did my ISDE in Mexico, Johnny Aubert kind of did what Mayo did to us here and just killed everybody. I mean, he won like 80% of the tests. Uh, there was tests where he was beating the second guy by 15, 20 seconds, and uh, I really kind of watched the way he rode, and it's really cool. They're super smooth, and they just carry so much momentum, which I feel like if anybody's watched me race a works race, that's kind of how I, I adapted that style, and I kind of race a works race like that. But you're still, it's different racing for two hours rather than seven to ten minutes. Right. So they're, I mean, they're, they just have really good, um, techniques for carrying momentum but at the same time it's not like you know it's not like they're not being aggressive because they're being super aggressive but super smooth at the same time uh, yeah it blows my mind that's one of the things uh brian story and one of the club members that was there on the senior the old the old dudes club team if you will uh this year and him and i whenever we talk about riding and stuff he's like dude it's a totally different train of thought you have to think smooth is fast fast is smooth and he's like you know it, in America, we're so used to like diving into corners and trying to cut, and diving into corners and cut. And over there, they just they just keep the throttle on the whole time and find a way to just to never cut and to always yeah. be carving. Um, which it's like, all right. So obviously, they're really good. That's what I take away from everything he tells me. <laughs> yeah. Well, a, a perfect example of it is on uh, on day three. I lost some time because I hit a tree and snapped my front brake line in a test. And then, the, of course, it was the test with, like, the steepest hills in it. So I had no front brake going down these hills, and I crashed, like, two more times just trying to, like, 
dive into these ruts with no front brake. Um, so I lost some time on day three. And then day four, I was like, all right, I need to make up that time. And I was just like pushing super hard, but making little mistakes here and there. And I actually ended up like 11th overall on day four. So I was like, all right, that didn't work. I need to change it up. I went back out on day five and just tried to be as smooth as possible and not like not blow up any berms, just carry momentum. And uh, it worked out because I ended up, I went from 11th on day four to sixth on day five. And uh, that definitely helped me out. Wow. Man, yeah, that's crazy to, to hear how like even you can take that, that mental change and apply it to your writing and it makes such a you know such a huge difference yeah um i noticed too we were talking like i said we were talking with ryan kudla last week uh he stayed up a little late and talked with us for uh, last week's episode and was mentioning about how you had uh, some suspension issues and that he had to kind of help your suspension get there and um, we saw pictures of you having to put it on um in your work period to so tell us kind of talk to us a little bit more about how that all kind of came about yeah that was like a huge cluster and there was definitely some major logistics that went into getting my suspension on my bike. So <laughs> um, my bike was shipped up, shipped over there with stock suspension, um, just because I hadn't when it when I had to ship it over there, I hadn't done any suspension testing for ISC yet, and I didn't think it was going to be a big deal. You know, I was going to just take it with me because I've taken my suspension with me to Europe before, and I've taken it to, to South America and never had an issue with it. But I always fly out of Phoenix too. So, I don't know, I guess that airport is different from airport to airport. But, uh, yeah, so Eric, I'm in the airport. I checked my bags up, sitting in the terminal. Everything's good. And I get this phone call from this number I didn't know, and it was Eric or Ryan Kudla. And uh, he's like, hey, Taylor, this is Ryan. Um, I'm trying to check my suspension right now, and they're not going to let it go through. And your suspension's sitting here, too. They said they're not going to let it go through either. And if you don't have somebody come pick it up, that they're going to ship it to Dallas or Denver or something, and you're going to have to pick it up there. And I was like, uh, all right, well, can you get it for me? Yeah, none of that sounds so, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he got it from, or his mom, which dropped him off the airport, she picked up the suspension and dropped it off at TBT because uh, he lives in L.A. Right. And then... Uh, Travis got the suspension to my mechanic, Jeff, at Kawasaki, and we were like, all right, well, we'll just have Kawasaki, like, you know, ship it as quickly as they can to Italy, and we'll hopefully it'll be here by, like, Friday or Saturday, throw it on the bike, good to go. Well, then, like, Kawasaki called me, and they're like, hey, we're not going to be able to get it there on time because of customs. It's going to sit in customs for three or four days, so it's not going to work out. So Kawasaki, this is, like, Wednesday, and my dad was flying out on Friday, so Kawasaki overnighted it to my dad, <laughs> both sets, and then my dad flew out of Phoenix, and he got it to go through, and he brought it to, you know, Sardinia, Italy, but he didn't get there till Saturday night, and my bike was already an impound, so then first thing <laughs> Monday morning, we get a 10-minute work period, so I threw my shock on there, and then... I hauled ass to the first time check and I got there with like 15 minutes to spare and I threw my forks on and then I was good to go the rest of the week. But it was definitely one heck of a way to start the race. <laughs> Dude, how do you, on a four stroke let alone, how do you put a rear sh take a rear shock off and put one on in 10 minutes? Oh, you just got to be super slick. 
you know. <laughs> Got to know know the way in and out, if you will. Yeah, I mean, the Kawasaki is actually pretty good as far as being able to take the shock on, on and off. Um, obviously, it's way easier with a PDS shock, like on a KTM. Right. But, uh, no, you just, I mean, you got to take the subframe, all the four subframe bolts out, but you don't actually have to remove the air boot because okay. that's always the biggest pain to deal with is yeah. trying to get the air boot back on. So you actually just take the subframe bolts out and, and pull the subframe up, and then the shock just comes out. You throw the new one in. And with an impact, you put everything back together. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah, when I saw that picture, it was either Shan or Mark's picture, and it had the description of what you were doing. I was just like, that sucks. Like, oh, my gosh. That's, what a way to start off a, you know, six days of racing by going, crap, I hope I get this on and start on time. <laughs> yeah, but it was good, you know. my uh, I've never started off with six days that strong. I mean, I got six overall my first day. And I think I was six overall in my first test of the week. Usually my first test of the week, I'm like 20th. Right. Man, so. dude, you're on it. You're, you're, you're kind of you're knowing what you're doing when you show up, um, and it shows. So um, one of the questions that I kind of asked Nick was about how it, you know, once Auntie has kind of taken over the past couple of years as team manager for the Team USA at ISDE, you could tell that you guys have really started to progress. You've gotten a lot faster. You've gelled well. Um, do you got? Do you legitimately think that there is a chance to win this, and then like you know, next year or the year after? Yeah, I really do. Um, I mean, this year we we had Zach, who's new to the team, but we also had uh, Caleb, which was, it was his first time on the junior team, and Ryan Sipes. And so now we have like a good, solid, like you know, eight guys or so that really want to do it and that are really fast and uh, that's good because we need like we need like eight or nine guys that can really go fast and be really consistent because you know by the time next October rolls around you don't know if anybody's going to be hurt or whatnot. so you need to have backups because if you basically don't have one guy that is can't pull pull his weight then you're screwed because you got to have five guys that are going fast every day. And if you already got one guy that's out, if somebody wrecks or something like that, then you guys are, you know, you're done because they only they take your five best scores every day. Right. But if you if you only have five good riders, then then you know it's it's really hard. So, uh, you know, now we got all these guys that are really fast. They really know what they're doing, and they're they're even hungrier now that we've kind of got a taste of right. Of it's like so we all uh, we're all talking after the race and we're just coming up with brainstorming with different ideas of how how we're going to make it work how we're going to beat these guys and you know we even thought up of ideas of if next year it's supposed to be rocky and and deserty then have all the east coast guys come out to either my house or kurt's house and we'll ride for a week or something and just make some tracks and then if we have an ISD where there, we know there's going to be like slippery grass tracks, and we'll go all, go out to like, you know, Thad or Caleb or Zach's house and just train on grass tracks for a week and and use crappy tires and stuff <laughs> like that. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. It's like because they're a little bit easier to take on and off because I think the rubber's not as uh, not as good, but at the same time, then you don't have as much traction. So can can you guys get those tires in the states beforehand to practice with to ride on? Yeah, we can. Um, we just we need to commit to it and do it. You know, 
I think everybody kind of bought one set this year to practice on, but that's almost one of those things like we need to have, we all need to have a bike set up for ISD training that we can ride, you know, three months before ISD and just, we all kind of have our own thing, you know, whether Kurt's doing Dakar and Baja and you got Charlie doing GNCCs and me doing whatever. Um, <laughs> we all just need to have our, our bikes set up for ISD and say whether it's once or twice a week, go out and do sprints on those, on those bikes and those crappy tires. That way when we get to the race, you know, we're pretty prepared like the Europeans are. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Um, before I wanted to talk to you a little bit about some of the enduro cross stuff that's been going on before we jump into that really quick, I wanted to say thank you very much to, uh, power sport graphics. Um, for those of you who don't know, yes, it costs money for the fact that we have to pay hosting for the website. We have to pay, uh, server, uh, the server space for the fact that we're broadcasting live video on the internet, all that kind of costs money. And these are all guys that help us out with that. So we would just appreciate if you would support them the way that they support us. Um, so power sport graphics, uh, based out of North Carolina. They do a lot of awesome work. Uh, any any kind of custom work that you're looking for, maybe stickers for your uh, stickers for your bike, you know, graphics, uh, decals, all that kinds of stuff. They do. They've done stickers as well for me, just for my truck of of weird off one off things. So they can do a lot more um, than just moto type stuff. You just got to give them a call or shoot them an email off their site, which is ridepg.com. Um, best part too is we have a discount code with them. So if you want to save 10% off of anything that you order from those guys, you can use the discount code SeatTime. Um, and you can call them for that, or you can, uh, you know, order it off the off off their off their website. So we definitely appreciate them for their support. Uh, please go check them out. All right, so enduro cross. Now you you've done you've kind of you've been, you know, you did really good at some and not as great at others, but you've been on the podium a lot lately this year in the enduro cross series. You gold medal and uh, Munich. So how are you feeling right now about enduro cross? Hey, are you still there? You're yeah. breaking up real Oh, no. So I'm just at, I wanted to know kind of, you know, how do you feel about how you've been doing in Enduro Cross so far this year? Oh, um, you know, obviously the gold medal was, was the top. I mean, that was the highlight of my year so far. Yeah. Um, I feel like my riding has been really good. I've just had weird stuff happen to me. Um, and like at Ontario, I set the fastest lap of the day qualifier um and then which was the first time i've done that and then i uh got second in the heat right behind brownie brownie and i actually had a really good battle and uh it was really close in the heat but then we it doesn't really matter what place you get in the heat now because we have to do another set of hot laps for the night program while well, i was on a ripper in my my night hot lap and uh for the event and I just laid it over in the rock turn, and I ended up last gate pick. So I had to start on the second. I had, to, you know, was one of the faster guys, but I had to start on the second row on the outside. Yeah. So that was kind of unfortunate. I just started working my way up, but you know, it's really hard nowadays that everybody's going so fast, and everybody, you know, before it was like Taddy's the man; he minimizes the mistakes. But now we got like three or four guys that are can battle for a win and. And they're not making as many mistakes as it used to be. And the tracks have gotten a little bit easier and more flowy, but I think they're better for racing. It's just hard to make up time if you're coming from back because you don't have guys like getting stuck and big pileups and stuff like that. 
Um, but I've had weird stuff happen to me like that, you know, and, and Barcelona, I got cleaned out on the start and my, <laughs> my bike actually shot out from underneath me cause somebody hit me from behind. But, uh, you know, I'm actually pretty pleased with the way it's going. I'm sitting third in the points right now and, and I know I can get another win. I just, uh, need to get out front right away and, and do my thing, which is what I did in Germany. You know, I got a second place start and then I passed Brownie at the end of the first lap and just rode my own race so i'd really like to just get out front and do what i know how to do <laughs> put, put in 10 really, good laps <laughs> yeah exactly it's just really hard to to uh you know do that in endurocross cross because the, the races are so short and intense that it's really easy to make mistakes right um so uh i at ontario watching you guys uh jump the entire water pit that was yeah. that was ridiculous who who did that first? Was it you, Brownie, or Taddy? Um, so I guess Brownie did it like the lap before I did it, but I didn't. I didn't know he did it. I thought I was the first one to do it because <laughs> uh, I when Brad, Brownie and I were practicing, he was on the opposite side of the track of me. Um, so he did it, and then I did it. And uh, after practice, um, they're like, "Oh yeah, you and Brownie were the only ones to do that." So then, second practice, uh, Taddy goes out and just launches the thing and like pretty much almost lands in the next lane over <laughs> almost like he totally flat bottomed it yeah and oh. uh, he broke his he broke his triple clamps because he launched it so far oh my gosh so I, don't, I really don't think he wanted to do it and he i don't think he would have done it if brownie and i didn't do it um but yeah us three were the only three guys to do it and it was it was really sketchy because it was cool though because it was one of those things like if the corner would have been extended another 10 feet, then everybody would have been doing it. Because the actual distance, jumping that distance wasn't hard. It was the, but it was one of the most technical landings I've ever done because it had a log on top, so you couldn't case it. Yeah. And it was super steep and short and wet immediately into a turn. So it was, uh, it was just a really technical jump. Um, but it's cool now that they're throwing in stuff like that and the matrix were able to jump the whole matrix. And it's kind of one of those things that, you know, can really separate the top riders and the guys that really want to just go for it from the guys that, you know, don't because, um, it takes some, takes some balls to do stuff like that. I would agree. I know that I would not, not be doing that. I'll drink you any night at the bar, but I will never try to jump that ever, <laughs> ever. Um, well, um, speaking of the separation and stuff like that, do you think that we're gonna see more tracks with the ability to have sex situations like that, where guys could jump an entire section, or do you think they're gonna wind up saying, "Oop, that was a mistake," and they're, we're gonna kind of slow everybody back down? You know, it's hard to read the Endurocross guys because I know, like, Shane, the guy that builds the tracks, uh, I'm pretty close with him, and, and he's cool. I know he wants to see us do stuff like that, but then you got the actual guys that put on the Endurocross, and they're the ones in control, and uh, they, I know they didn't like us jumping the Matrix um, because they actually, there was dirt up to the first log, which was kind of helping out the amateurs. Uh-huh. And then we were jumping it really easy, and they took all the dirt out from the first log, and we were still jumping the whole thing. <laughs> and I was talking to them, and they're like, "Well, we can't really do anything about it." 
and uh, but I don't think they wanted us to jump the whole thing. And same with the water, because I was I actually asked them before we went out for practice. I was like, "Hey, are you guys going to take any dirt out from the front side of the water pit?" Um, and they're like, "No, why?" I was like, "Well, because we're going to jump that." And he's like, no, you, "He's like, no, you guys aren't. You guys aren't going to do that." I was like, "Watch me. I'll do it in the first practice." And I did it in the first practice, and uh, he was like, "All right." I, I mean, I think they don't they don't want to see people get hurt, but I think stuff like that is really good for the fans. So I hope they keep putting stuff like that in. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough one. I think you're kind of right. You know, I think that's why like a big part of Supercross motocross is so cool when you get in those indoors and you see the guys jumping those huge jumps and stuff. I know I'm just like a kid at the candy store, just all giddy <laughs> watching those guys jump. Um, but and watching that on the the webcast of you guys doing that was just insane. Just jaw on the on the ground and then katie uh taddy actually did case it um and of course uh i, I uh, alan stillwell had a big picture of it because taddy runs the um his pro guard for the linkage yeah. and you could see right where that law i mean it just landed right on it and uh, yeah and that probably is actually what did like save him from just like totally going over right because uh, he cased the ever-living shit out of that thing yeah, I saw. I actually, I was up in the stands during his heat, and I watched it. And I was surprised he didn't wreck, but man, that couldn't have felt good. No, and you, and it was funny too because he did not jump at the rest of that heat. Like that yeah. was it. Like, he was like, okay, I don't even. And I think like he jumped at like f- the first two laps of the main, and then didn't really until I think uh, maybe Brown started to catch back up or something like that. That he's like, okay, I got to jump it again. Yeah. So. Ooh. Okay, uh, here's a good one. We got some in the chat room. Said they read your article in Dirt Bike. What about adding some splatter type jumps to the races? Like those don't look like they would feel that good. <laughs> um, you know, the splatter is something that's really cool. I think they should do do stuff that would be like an option. Like um, I don't know exactly how they would make it. Maybe like a small log into a massive log that was flat on top or something that you could have the option of maybe splattering up onto the big log. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that would be awesome. But uh, they'd have to get pretty creative with it because if it was like a do or die thing, like either you have to splatter it or you're not going to get over it, they're not going to do it because the you know the women and amateurs aren't going to be able to get over it. Yeah, well, it could be something kind of like a, like the Joker lane like we saw at the Monster Energy Cup and stuff like that. Maybe like it's a... It's a it's a it's an A only line. <laughs> right. You, you don't have to take it. There is an alternate, but they could maybe have stuff like that. That's like super gnar. Uh, yeah, I add add in some wicked technical sections. I think it'd be cool to do like a split lane. You know, sometimes they've done that in Supercross where you have like, you know, an option where you go inside and it's like a roller into you know a rhythm section, or you go outside. There's a bigger lip. Um, I think it'd be cool if they did something like that. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I like it. Well, um, dude, okay, we always like to tell people where everybody can get more information um, about the writers that we have on the show. So where, where's uh, all the social social media? Where can people find you at on the internets? Um, on the interwebs, you can uh, find me at um, trobert33.com. But what I use mostly is, uh, I'd have to say Instagram, which is taylor underscore robert 33 and my Twitter is the same thing, so keep keep it pretty legit there, don't you? Easy to remember. Yeah, yeah pretty standard, you know. But <laughs> I like to post I put I like to post pictures of cool stuff. So um, 
you know, we got a pretty good compound in the backyard if we build something cool and uh, we try it and pretty much if we make it or we don't make it, I'll probably post a picture of it. <laughs> well, the, the picture you posted uh, from your Moto 5, that huge drop, where was that at? That was in southern Utah. That was in Hurricane Utah. And, uh, yeah, that movie actually be coming out. I think it's supposed to come out, like, at the end of the month. I think it's supposed to be out by November 1st. Yeah. So uh, I'd check that out because Cody Webb, Kyle Redman, and myself definitely did some insane free riding and probably stuff that most people have never seen done on dirt bikes before. Oh, you went there. You said that. Yeah. Before, ever, never done. Oh, my gosh. I'm excited. Yeah, that's going to be cool. Steven and I are very much looking forward to that coming out. Um, we're still trying to finagle our way into making it to the Las, uh, Las Vegas Enduro Cross to get out there and do some video work. So we'll see. I don't know. Maybe. We may just keep getting shut down by the man. I don't really know how that's going to work out. but <laughs> Whatever. I may. We may. Well, cool, man. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. I have to say, what was uh, I wanted to ask you about some of the things. One of the, I mentioned to Ferringer as well is that Johnny O'Bear just signed with Beta. So he's going to be riding Betas over in Europe instead of KTMs. Uh, David Knight is signing with, or has signed with Sherco, and he's riding Sherco's now. He's on the 300 four-stroke. Now, those are European riders. That kind of makes sense. But I have a feeling we're going to see a little bit more of those brands picking up you know, more riders in the States, maybe not just because of the fact that they have two-strokes, but they have really, really good two-strokes, and they're going to have more and more of a presence over here. Um, do you think as a rider who rides for a team that doesn't have a two stroke that is, is there any talk behind the scenes to like realize that it may have been too early to drop off, you know, making two strokes completely? Uh, you know, there hasn't been any talk, um, to me about it, but I think if a Japanese company made a 300 two stroke, they'd sell all of them. Yeah, I kind of agree. Um, and, and what, in your mind, you, you've been riding um, Japanese bikes for a long, long time. What do you think if they were to make a three hundred? Yeah. What do you think would make their three hundred be so different from, say, like a European three hundred? Hey, you're uh, you're breaking up real bad. Oh my gosh! Any better? Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're good. Nice. So, what do you think would be the biggest difference between a Japanese three hundred and, say, like a European three hundred two stroke? Um, you know, I think, uh, like an aluminum bilateral frame, uh, would be good. The suspension is a little bit different as far as like now KTMs have linkage, but that's why they have, that's why Allen came out with the linkage guard because it hangs down so much more than a Japanese, right. you know, a Kawasaki and a Honda linkage is so much more tucked up than a, a KTM linkage. So just stuff like that. Um, I think they can make a really cool, you know, enduro, off-road, street-legal, two-stroke type deal. Um, and I think people would be all over it. Right. Or you could just buy a, what is it, a KDX 200 frame and put a 500cc two-stroke engine in it. Bam. Yeah. There you go. Do it. <laughs> Those things are so sick. Those KX 500 AFs. Um, yeah. There's a guy here in Texas who's actually built two of them recently. And uh, I want to I want to ride one bad, like in an open field with no trees. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't want to have to be real off roady. I just want to go fast. <laughs> yeah, I want to build a, a a big bore 
KX250 uh, with a wide ratio transmission and put it in a KX250F frame. I think that'd be sick. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm, I've been on the Euro bikes for a while now. I'm totally happy with it. I love my KTM. But uh, I do think that the, the Japanese are missing out. Um, you know, I mean, sure, Yamaha's still making bikes, but they're still making the same bike they made 10, 12 years ago uh, you right. know, with bold new graphics. I think if they put a little bit more research in there, I don't know. People keep saying it's the economy, and I just keep saying, you know what? It is what it is. You can either decide to blame the economy, or you can decide to make changes and figure it out. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people are still using that as a pretty poor excuse. So we're never going to evolve if we don't innovate, right? Yeah, exactly. That sounded smart. Whoa, weird. You guys watch out here. I think we should end the show before shit gets crazy. Well, um, you know we have a new sponsor on the show, Taylor? Oh, really? Yeah, we do. It's Fast Company, who makes the Flex Bars. Um, have you have you ever had a chance to ride with Flex Bars? Yeah. Um, in 2010, I ran the Flex Bars when I was on the Yamaha, the Valley Yamaha team. Yeah. Um, but I haven't had the chance to run them since then because Kawasaki is tied in so well. Yeah, you guys have a, a set kind of group of sponsors. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, of suppliers, if you will. Which, I mean, on one hand, it's really cool. Like, when you get on the team, you don't have to worry about anything. Like, everything on the bike is taken care of. Um, but on the opposite side of that, like, I don't, I can't get any personal sponsor for anything on the bike. Um, so, it's, yeah. it's kind of, it is what it is. That's very tough. Well, one of the things that I think is super cool um, is that I was definitely, definitely, definitely the person who had the ignorant answer three years ago. Um, when I first when I first heard about flex bars, it's like flex bars. I don't want my bars to flex. Like that was just my immediate reaction to somebody telling me about these these bars. And I, I now that I've had a chance to ride them and test on them a little bit, that was that was a completely ignorant answer, and I didn't give it a chance. Um, and coming back from a shoulder surgery and having then been able to ride Brian's bike at Big Sky, and then this past weekend on my KTM, been able to really dial them in and setting them up even more so for myself. I don't want to ride without them. Um, it, it's so interesting how it helps soak up a lot of the bumps and kind of the, the stuff that we come across in the off-road world um, that can kind of throw you off and can kind of really hurt your game, if you will. Um, and it, it's so nice. My shoulder didn't hurt at all after I got done riding any more so than it would normally, um, especially having you know been on the bike, what, twice you know, in the, in the past six months. So super, super cool. I, I think uh, I'll, be, I'll be looking forward to you, Taylor. You know, getting getting on a, a bike where you can uh, you can run them again. I'm just kidding. Yeah. I know that you have a job and it's your professional duty to be faithful, and we understand that. But um, one of the other things I thought was really neat is they have a spoke torque wrench, so that you can actually tighten your spokes to a, a certain. A, you could even have an adjustable one to a certain torque setting if that's what you so desire. Um, and I know that I suck at you know clinking. It's not like I'm tuning a drum where I'm trying to you know use. Uh, a, a key to tune a drum and know how loud it needs to be and, and match pitches and stuff when I tap on spokes. I'm not a musician. I'm not magical like that. This thing makes it so easy for me to tighten all these spokes to the right uh, light, to the right tension, if you will, to sound scientific. So those are definitely things I think you guys should go check out at fastco.com. Um, super, super excited to have them on board. Um, the more I get a chance to talk with them, the more I'm going to learn about the product, the more information I'll be able to get to you guys. Hopefully, even as well, have some T-shirts, other fun stuff for you guys to uh, have competitions and ways to win. 
I think that that'll be fun, right? Right? Yes. Everybody likes that. You, uh, what is Focus, Taylor? What is clothing company Focus that you're so involved with? Um, yeah, they're just uh, they're a company from Southern California. They uh, they're kind of just like an action sports lifestyle clothing company. So they're not just a moto company, but they have uh, a bunch of surf athletes, skate athletes, BMX athletes, and uh, yeah, I mean they're just uh, a couple guys out of Southern California that really just you know their goal is kind of like be like a Volcom type Quicksilver deal, right? Um, but uh, yeah, they're they're really cool. They uh, fortunately for me, they're super into moto because they both r- ride. Right. Uh, no, I mean they uh, they support all kinds of different sports, and and they're actually really cool. You know, they they help out a lot, and and they're always coming out with new stuff, so it's fun. Awesome. Well, um, yeah, what was it I was gonna say? Focus T-shirts, ISDE T-shirts. Do you have any more? If people wanted to go to your website and pick those up. I do. Um, I did, they actually helped me design and make my ISD t-shirts, and uh, I kind of went with like a non-conventional ISD t-shirt, but uh, yeah, it's still it's what I was using for my fundraiser, and yeah, you can check them out on my website at trobert33.com. <laughs> oh, apparently I'm getting called out by somebody for not sending them stuff. That's it's what it's. I'll have to figure that out. Obviously, it's been kind of crazy with work and all that stuff. Double D, we're going to get you hooked up. I don't know if I can send you a pair of bars because that sounds like a lot of money. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But (laughs) I can get you one of the nuts off of the bars. You can slowly start to build up your own pair of flex bars. Well, cool, dude. Well, uh, you've got, uh, is it Sacramento coming up this weekend? No, Uh, Denver. Denver, right, for Endurocross? Yeah, actually, uh, starting in Ontario... I'm racing nonstop until Vegas. So uh, I got Denver this weekend. Um, Monday, I fly to Ecuador for an extreme enduro. And then on uh, I get back from that, I have uh, Everett Enduro Cross. And then immediately after that, I go down to Mexico, pre-run for the Baja 1000, come back, race Boise, go back down to Mexico, race the Baja 1000, come back, and then race Vegas Enduro Cross. And then take a nap? Yeah, I'll probably just take like a 30-minute nap. <laughs> I need a little bit of rest, guys. Just just a yeah. skosh. Just a little yep. bit. <laughs> well, man, you got your plate full. Oh, yeah, I was going to let you go, but I have to ask about this because this is hilarious. Uh, Ryan Kudla says that I had to ask you about how crazy it is selling your pants and stuff like after the racing at the yeah. ISDE. Was it just what, – what, tell us about that. Um, yeah, I mean, after the race, everybody kind of does it. Um, but, yeah, you take – all your used tires, mooses, gear, anything you don't want to take back with you, you sell it, and like the people are all over it. I mean, it's like a like garage sale out there, and you got people bidding on stuff. Uh, I had a, you know, at first it's kind of slow, and then the the people kind of start getting into it, and I had one rear moose and tire left, and uh, I had these two guys like bidding over it, so it's kind of a little crazy thing. But you got to watch your stuff too, because. If they're, you look away, they'll just walk off. <laughs> they're gonna sneak over there and jack your stuff. Yeah, and, that's no fun. And then you got you got guys like asking for crazy stuff. I don't know how many guys I had asked me uh, if they could either have my helmet or buy my helmet, and uh, and just stuff like that. So yeah, those ISDE helmets, man. Those are those are something you can't ever part with. That's like 
come home and bam, put it on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, exactly. I got a I got a pretty good wall at my dad's house of just all my old helmets from when I was on 85s pretty much. One, I think I have one or two helmets from when I was on 65. But yeah, pretty much from when I was on 85, I have all my all my helmets. And the ISD ones are definitely the, the top. Oh, man. I bet. Maybe one day I'll be able to touch somebody else's. I'll probably never be able to earn my own. <laughs> it feels like being fast is in the past. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was clever too. I like that. That was fun. All right. Well, before I totally lose everything and fall asleep here from all the drugs I've been on, I appreciate everybody that's been in the chat room, everybody that's been uh, watching live. It's been awesome. Episode 102. So this is Seat Time. SeatTime.co is the website where you can find this. We archive all of the sites there. Of course, we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash Seat Time. Uh, you find us there. So we just post kind of daily uh, things throughout the day, shenanigans, stuff like that, fun videos for you to watch. Uh, Twitter.com is... Uh, it's at seat time underscore co is our Twitter handle. We're on Instagram, so you can find us there. You just search for seat time as well. YouTube, you can just search for seat time there. It's uh, seat time co is our user. So all kinds of fun places out there if you guys want to find us. Um, and it's been a great time, Mr. Taylor Robert. I really appreciate you putting on or being on, not putting out. Um, but uh, you know, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> You know, I always put out for you, Brian. Hey, I know it's like, hey Taylor, you want to be on? You're like, why? Well, yes, I do. <laughs> it's pretty much it's just it's easy i like it it works out well as, as always you're a fantastic guest you're fun you're you're easy and uh, you've always got great information so i appreciate you taking the time man all right thank you i appreciate it and uh, i always enjoy being on here so let me know whenever you want to talk about cool stuff like your life yeah or yours <laughs> hey. or your mustache oh it has its own it, my, the the mustache show is going to start next actually that's why we're already late. We got to start the mustache show. It starts after this one. That's the one I don't do with clothes on, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the stash. Well, cool. Episode 102 is in the books. Remember, always enjoy a pint full of awesome. Have fun out there, kids. And we'll see you next Tuesday, 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Peace. Right on.